every time that I see that, right? Every time that I hear that, or every time I see a maneuver, like I just see revenue going out the door, right? You know, I, I read reports about like major, like big, big services like Amazon, for example, or Walmart, or, you know, improving their site speed load times by like 0.2 seconds or something. And being able to show that that creates millions of dollars worth of revenue per day. Right. And I'm just thinking like, all right, cool. You know, you know, you did a super incremental improvement, but that, that adds up over time. Right. And I feel that same way with undergrad students. I'm like, you know, if we, if we prove this process for them one step at a time, we're, we're just immediately creating value. Hey y'all, and welcome to The Application, a podcast nestled nicely in the Enrollify podcast network. This is your guide, Corinne Myers, and I am so excited to share my love of high-grad Marcoms, student experience, and campus squirrels. My friends at RaRa were awesome enough to sponsor all of the insights and ideas I get to share with you over the course of the application's episodes. So let's get into it. My name is Zachary Vineyard. I am the Director of Enrollment Marketing Technology at Miami University in Ohio. And day to day, I work on email communications, email marketing. That's kind of like the, the, the first step of my job. But then I also work across the spectrum on digital tools, interfacing with vendors, really trying to help us like understand technology. My boss refers to me as the glue between all of the tech, you know, website, email, everything, analytics, data, you know, how we measure our effectiveness. And so I end up playing kind of in all those worlds at the same time. That's awesome. I actually am not used to seeing director of technology or those kinds of job titles in higher ed. Do you have peers who also have the same titles as you or do the same things? Wow. You know, that's a good question. I, the former, the role I had before I joined Miami was also called director of marketing technologies. But I think that that's kind of, I don't know, maybe grown up alongside my skill set, which was that I've been a backend web developer for most of my career. And then, but ended up having to kind of do a lot in the higher ed space because I think traditionally universities are a little under-resourced in this kind of corner of marketing where you end up running a lot of digital tools, right? So you kind of wake up one day and realize, oh, I work on the website and I work on analytics and I have to do front end design and I have to run the server. And, <laughs> and so I, I think that that title is kind of a representation of all of those skills coming together because the work is there. And I think we need that work happening in marketing, but oftentimes like you, you kind of end up having to become more of a generalist to cover a lot of those areas. So I don't know. I don't see a lot of peers with that exact phrase in their title, but I actually think that that's, I don't know, it's not that they don't do that type of work. You know, I was just talking with our, our web manager today and I'm thinking about the scope of work she covers and it's a lot. It's multiple systems, it's front end design, it's thinking about how the back end works, it's web governance, it's how do I train people? I mean, it's all over the place, right? So, yes. The work is there, but I'm not sure that I see the title, you know, aligning with that all the time. You know, it's interesting The you know, the wearer of money hats is nothing new to higher ed, but I imagine yeah. being able to do 
all of the technical things across the spectrum is extra difficult, um, especially when it's such a highly specialized field. So web dev is such a highly specialized mm-hmm. field. Analytics is such a highly specialized field. How are you, how do you keep up with that and be a generalist in an area that is typically very specialized? Oh, I am just, I'm addicted to learning. And I think that that's a big part of why I've been able to be successful with that. I, man, it, if you, if you get online and start just digging into Twitter and finding a community that, that helps support you and all of your interests in, in that space, I think it really just starts to unlock a lot of keys to doors that were closed before, but I spend a lot of time figuring things out. And I think that's because that's just who I am and what I like. And so, you know, when I hear, when I see people talking about a new CSS framework or a new PHP development framework, I I like to get my hands dirty with those things and and download them and install them and try and get them to work and and figure out, is this something I could apply to my day-to-day job at, at Miami? Or is this is this something I could put into play? Is this technology that would provide value for us? Or is this just me <laughs> playing with a new toy and thinking, oh, that's neat, that's cool. I try to attach myself to the, the practical systems and, and really tried to put them in play at my former job and, and at my new job where we, we can actually create value with these tools. I think about like experiences for when I was an early web developer, you know, like how long did it take me to build a login form? You know, something kind of that we use every day today, right? We, we put in play all the time. And I remember the very first one I tried to build took me three days to build. And it was because I didn't really understand the technology. It took me a long time. I felt amazing when I figured it out, right? It was such a reward to that learning that I was trying to put in play. But today that's a five minute thing. I mean, that systems today make that so accessible and because it's been stamped out in the technology for years and years and years. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's almost you have to never stop learning, especially in the digital space. It's, it's exhausting sometimes, but at the same time, it's, yeah. so, it's always changing that if you're not always learning, you become irrelevant so fast. Oh, that's totally right. I mean, I'm thinking about stuff I was putting into play uh, at my last career or my last job. And I'm thinking there was big chunks of that that didn't even exist five years ago. Like the yeah. technology would, wasn't even there. I mean, it was maybe a, a little baby and it was just gaining steam, you know, but here we are <laughs> putting that on a server and running it today. And I'm like, we didn't even have this on the radar <laughs> five years ago at all. So Right. Right. So it's interesting. So, this is, you know, my strong suit is not necessarily tech, which, you know, sure. sometimes is fine and sometimes it, it feels like a, a gap. But the the kind of thread, if you will, across this podcast is all around student experience. And we know and I know that student experience and personalization cannot be achieved without that. And so I want to talk a little bit more about specifically the enrollment tech you're currently using and how it's helping you achieve goals in personalization, in creating experiences on websites and other in apps and just in general and digital. And then what do you see the future? Like what's going to happen? I'd love to hear more about that. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
I mean, I think I like a lot of universities were, were using Slate as a CRM, really, as like a backbone for the data. And I think that's pretty much essential today. You know, I think if you're a university that's not got some type of CRM in play, you're going to be uh, at a disadvantage, right? And, I, and in part because that's just like putting your data together, right? It's just like aggregating all of that enrollment data into one place that you can rely on, which is really good. And you can take that to to a certain level of personalization on your website, right? Like you can start to feed in information about a customer into your website experience, which is good. And I think there's vendors that help with that along the way. There's technology we can put in play on your own or, or, or implement on your own to, to help with that personalization experience in uh, on a website. But it's limited to a degree because it, you, you often aren't asking a user to log into to do some of that work. You're, you're just kind of bringing them back to a site and saying, hey, schedule a visit, or hey, request more info about this program, or hey, um, you know, please execute this next call to action. And often the, the space where you log in is kind of reserved for the application, like go and finish your application, please log in to do that, or go and accept your financial aid package, right? And so there's still a little split there between information that's behind a login and information that's gathered that's not behind a login. So you kind of run into issues, right? Because you don't always quite exactly know who your user is. And if I could predict the future, that's what I think will change. That's the big thing is put everything behind a login and start to centralize your student experience. Much like you would see happening at a startup or in an app experience or in another big web application provider, right? You could point at anything, point at Amazon or Netflix or point at, you know, any type of app you download today on your phone, right? Like the, the first thing you do is create an account and higher ed really hasn't kind of caught up to this space yet, right? We, we still go, have you explored our brand well enough to know whether or not you'd want to create an account? If you'd want to apply, if you'd want to move to that next step. So it creates this gap, right, where we don't always have like good first person data with every single interaction that could be happening on a website, meaning they don't come to miamioh.edu, right, our primary website and log in immediately. They don't. And but any other interaction you do, I mean, pick an e-commerce provider, <laughs> pick target.com, right? They want you to log in right away. Why? They can track everything you purchase, every interaction you do, every move you make toward spending money with them. And I think that's kind of a disadvantage from a marketing perspective because we can't quite always know which customer is on our website. But there's vendors that kind of fill that gap, which is cool. And, and they're starting to kind of figure that out without always having a login in place. The one that comes to mind is the Clarity Project by Carnegie Dartlet, where they're basically just trying to like aggregate information about your users without them always being logged in based upon their actions on your website. It's really cool. It's a neat product, but I'm like, we could kind of solve this issue for ourselves if we were more aggressively pursuing this ability for somebody to just log in first to do their actions. So you're totally right. So Amazon, I'm always sure. logged yeah. in. Target, I'm always lock, logged in. Heck, even like all the apps I'm on, I'm always logged in. How does that change right. the current 
things we're doing in higher ed in terms of tech? Like, what does that look like, I guess? What is that? How would that change your job if we went to this model? I think it would just put way more focus on the, the customer's experience right away. And I think we would start thinking about websites a little bit differently. And I think we'd be thinking about our marketing enrollment process a little bit differently, in part because you're driving all the way down to a single user at a, at a time. Websites on higher ed today, right, are still kind of these massive <laughs> experiences where we have to, right, kind of be upfront about all of the information at once. So I'm thinking about like a tuition page. So right now it would be like, let me show you all of the tuition for grads and undergrads and international students and out-of-state students and in-state students and like every piece of scenario, you know, every every kind of possible scenario that, that you might imagine about how much it costs to come to our university, to come to Miami for it. And that's the type of experience that's on our page today. You can see the in-state and out-of-state tuition. Well, if you're logged in and have an account and I know you're in-state, why do I need to show you all that other info? Like, why would I ever just, I could just say, the price for you is this, right? So it gets way more, it kind of like shortcuts all of that wading through other information to just a very specific piece of information for that user. And so I think that's how, I think that would be the biggest impact because now that's going to drive design change, content change, how you communicate. That would totally change how we communicate with a, a student in the early stages. This is super amazing. I actually have never thought about turning higher ed websites into that experience, but we're so used to it across everything we do. Why wouldn't it make sense? I guess the, the question that I imagine coming up is how does this impact data? Like, is it, are you concerned about data collection or, and the data that the students would have to submit and all these things or does it really, I imagine this solution actually requires less mm -hmm. cookies and less third-party data and more first-party opted-in data. Can you talk a little bit to that? Absolutely. I think this is, I mean, this is far more the first data or the first-party data approach. It's kind of saying, look, I want to just be directly connected to the user and not have to track them around the web as much, you know? I mean... Not that universities wouldn't stop doing that to a degree, right? Like advertising in the digital space still works for us as a, as a marketing tactic. We got to keep doing that, right? We still have to get the brand message out there. But, you know, like what I kind of mentioned before with the Clarity Project, right? They use a tool that basically places more technology in front of our, of our prospective students and users and website users to, to try and identify who they are without them being logged in. Right. So yeah, now you're, you're passing along more, more data around the web a little bit to kind of figure that out when with the login session on a server, you could figure it out. <laughs> right. So that's kind of the biggest difference. This actually feels a little bit more, I don't know. <laughs> like uh, a little safer. I, I don't know if I could use that word. It's not safer. It's more like centralized, right? It's like kind of bringing it together for the user. And I think, I think we're going to see more of that, that pressure growing. You know, we've already seen groups like Google say, Hey, look, uh, we're going to start kind of disabling features in Chrome so that there isn't so much third party data being thrown around the web. There isn't so much exploitation of that idea so that 
you you end up having to rely more on first person like first party data i keep saying first person data <laughs> like it's a point of view you know it's like oh this third person novel versus a first person novel but like third that third party data is i i think eventually going to go away and i and i i'd love to blame facebook for that you know like kind of making it a toxic environment for everybody and i'm just like thumbs down right and I, and and our <laughs> and our i think our the the users and the generation behind us like me as a millennial right like the generation behind us are going to be more savvy to that why why isn't higher ed currently doing this why aren't there why don't we see any institutions doing this i think it's tough it it's kind of like challenging a, a higher ed organization to think like and operate like a startup right because <laughs> i'm saying well if i start up and build an app and build a kind of a technology backbone and put that login in front of everybody first, then it ratifies the way you you build your technology and the way that you think about technology. But your your technology becomes central, right? It starts to take up far more of your overhead and expense. And I'm not sure we put technology into play that always lines up those ideas all the time for the user, right? Like if we put the login first, all of a sudden that kind of implies that I've got to be able to log into every single service that I put in front of the student. So we tend to use a lot more like single sign-on scenarios today, right? Where eventually a student can sign on, sign into something like uh, Slate and sign in later, sign into like a student information system and then like a library system. And then, you know, like it keeps, we keep tacking on these big technology services. And single sign-on does a good job of, of helping us get across all of those systems, but it's not nearly as centralized in the, in the marketing experience that way. It's like, for some reason, we, we, we've been resistant in higher ed to giving a person a login. as like the first action we would ever want to do with them. Right. And because immediately it says, well, how are they going to log into slate and how are they going to log into that system that we use in it to give them their financial aid package? And how are they going to, you know, how are they going to get their housing assignment and how, you know, it's like all that stuff starts to pile up and feels scary and nasty because it kind of is where in like startup places, right? Like, you know, app builders are going, well, we're going to, we're going to build a login first kind of like mentality, like a, a login first piece of technology, but then everything else behind that is usually built in house. So we don't really have the same level of adoption around things like open source technology to build web applications really quickly. We don't have the same level of adoption around like authentication systems that are centralized, right? Like really where they use like one authentication system for everything in marketing. We're not buying big teams of web development engineers and database managers, right? We're not investing in that space and we haven't ever as an industry traditionally invested in that way. But I think there's going to be a growing pressure for us to be thinking like that. But it's like, how many web developers can you buy right now? <laughs> and I, I, I mean, my, because we would have to get to a scenario where we could move really, really, really fast in the tech <laughs> right. world to fill those technology gaps right now that are being filled by multiple vendors across the spectrum of the whole higher ed experience that somehow we rely on like an, a central IT team for kind of connecting together in the best way possible. And that's generally speaking, like through single sign-on. 
Could you build, so I'm thinking for like the login specifically, could you build mm. like a, a website, right? A website that's general information. Like, but if you want this personalized to you, create a login with your personal email. And then at some point, right. if they apply and become a student, that data can then be just transferred into whatever data aggregator, whatever the, the data holder of enrollment and, and that right. stuff. Could it be simply transferred so that right now the, the login is for purposes of experience and personalization within the the journey of becoming mm-hmm. a student. But when you become a student, we go back to the regular stuff. Is is that a possibility or would that be also kind of too broken? I think that's kind of happening now, you know, in higher ed, because what you have is uh, kind of like an, ex- an experience that's, that's almost there, right? With Slate, for example, right? We're, we're putting all this enrollment data into Slate. That's good. We actually ask people to log in and create an account when they go to up. And then often, right, that data is then like handshaked or given off to like a student information system in, inside a university or, or connected to a, a system like that so it can share data back and forth. And that's often done just through like big flat file ex- exchanges, you know, on a server somewhere or, you know, Slate connecting to a, an, an inter-campus server or the other way around, like an internal service, like just dumping data back into Slate, you know? And so that, that happens, that definitely does. We still have to integrate. We still have to move data around. We still have to connect and share these services together. Even though a lot of like big service providers like Lucian or, or like a big ERP provider would say, well, we're going to try and build the whole stack for you as a university, right? We're going to build the student information system and the CRM and, and ERP and put those all together. We're going to put all your financial information in here and all of your donors information and all of your student information. Right. And that starts to work, I think to a degree, but then it's like, then your marketing team says, well, we really want to use slate (laughs) and it's not quite, it's not quite as seamless to the user. Right. Because you create this like slate login that's specific to slate. But then as soon as they enroll, it's like we we immediately say to the we immediately say to these these students right well we really need you to now build a different login we need you to build this kind of like university login and sometimes that's in Google Apps sometimes that's in some internal system that's run by LDAP or that's sometimes that's connected to some other student information system and then on top of that we've often done this thing where it's like now that you have the student account we need you to build this extra email address. <laughs> And we're going we're gonna to put you on this email address inside of our domain, which is really this kind of legacy idea that's just stuck around in higher ed for many, many years that I don't really quite understand, which is why can't we just use the email address they gave us when they signed up for Slate, right? To do all the communication with as a customer, right? Huh. Every other provider would do that today, right? Every other provider like Amazon, Netflix, whatever, right? When you sign up, you give them your personal info and they use that to talk with you and bill you and market to you. But then at higher ed, all of a sudden we kind of like <laughs> kind of pull the plug on that and say, now nah, we're only going to start emailing you at this university email address for all the official communication. Right. <laughs> you kind of go, why though? Right. And let's talk about Rara, the generous sponsor Maybe there's just the some brewing paranoia they that we wouldn't be able right to into my obsession with experience management. Because, you know, they read their emails so often. can discover, access, and connect well, resources, thinking, like, programs, and generally all things happening on this is This is like the same person who's paying the bill. Right. I mean, you know, like paying their tuition bill. Like, why do I need to all of a sudden shift here? 
and that's kind of that shift in the mentality, right? Like when I signed up for whatever app on my phone, I didn't use a, a new email address. Right. Right. I just used my email address. Things you don't even think about because they're just like, yeah, you just get an email address when you go to school. It's like, but like, no one's like, but why? Like, I don't know. Ask Zach. Cause apparently I didn't even <laughs> ask this question either. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I've always wondered, you know, like, and I think now, I mean, I think the generations behind me, right. Who didn't really like see who, who just ha take this all for granted, right? Like who have an iPhone by the time they're five years old or whatever, you know, I'm thinking this has got to feel weird to them, right? Yeah. Maybe not, but I would kind of feel like it would feel odd to be all of a sudden given this whole other inbox in this and this whole other place to go and like look for things when, when I could just be getting it in my regular, in my regular inbox. I don't know. Is there something to be said about the fear of communications going to spam or something along those lines where it's like fast-tracked or guaranteed not to if I have an official EDU email? I think we have those same, we still have those same concerns in marketing, right? Like to say, am, am I getting into the Gmail priority inbox? Am I, is my message moving to spam? Is it and so I think there's a little bit of paranoia about that, right? Like, so when your professor is emailing you about a class assignment or something, right? Is it, is it making it into the priority inbox? I, I think the technology is still good, right? To trust that the important messages are getting kind of landing in the right place. And, but yeah, I don't know. I think that there's, I think there's a little bit. And I, I think there's been that kind of expression in the past. We, we need to make sure we've delivered this message to them. And I get that when you're thinking about like a big tuition bill, I mean, and the, and that, that dollar number that is high and expensive and, and there's likely some kind of regulation around whether or not we did a good job of communicating about the financial commitment to an 18 year old student. And so I think that there's likely a lot of paranoia and I can't say paranoia, that's not the right word, but like kind of driven by regular regulators, mm -hmm. you know, behind the scenes. And so I think that's partially why that practice still exists, but I don't know, I'm trying to think of the last time. And I know this is anecdotal, but the last time that I missed my power bill in my in my inbox or something i think the technology today is very good particularly gmail right really good at weeding out what's what's fake news and what's not what's important what's not the also the, the pr i don't know i i trust i trust the technology out there a little bit maybe maybe too much but i trust it. <laughs> i think the the problem also stems to like asking the question about like well are we afraid but it's like why don't we talk about what the student experience, what that looks like, as opposed to applying and basing things off of internal processes and fears, which may be unfounded. Oh, sure. Why, you know, why are we still asking these questions when in reality we should be asking what is best for the student experience? Because really, if you just 
center yeah. that, then the question becomes, well, we should probably let them use their own email when it comes down to it. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. Like, why, why disrupt their experience more than we need to? Right. And every time that I see that, right, every time that I hear that or every time I see a maneuver, like, I just see revenue going out the door. Right. You know, I, I read reports about like major, like big, big services like Amazon, for example, or Walmart or improving their site speed load times by like 0.2 seconds or something and being able to show that that creates millions of dollars worth of revenue per day. Right. right. I'm just thinking like, <laughs> all right, cool. You know, you know, you did a super incremental improvement, but that, that adds up over time. Right. And I feel that same way with undergrad students. I'm like, you know, if we if we prove this process for them one step at a time, we're we're just immediately creating value. I think even if like we were to take a step, it's so, like for every student who fills out an RFI form, right? Could that be a a place where we say, hey, do you also want to create an account with this information? And they check yes. They're already mm-hmm. filling out the form and let them create a profile. And then from there, then customize the content to whatever they're doing, especially since that's already, like I said, they're already doing it. And the, the added value of customization with like, again, it's like financial aid is so overwhelming. It's so hard to process. If you could just reduce it down to like just what I need to know as a first year, first time student yeah. with X dollars, like that would be huge. That would be so helpful. So I can't imagine students not wanting or opting into that, especially if it feels just like all the other login systems that they're used to in their everyday lives. So it's super interesting. Yeah. I think about that from the perspective of the transfer student and the international student, right? Who like often land on websites that are really focused on first year domestic students. You know, if you could tell me you're from Luxembourg, and you're interested in coming to a university in the United States, man, the, the tailoring you could do, right? I no longer have to let you even care about stuff that's happening on campus next week right. or, or whatever, right? But that's all the information we pour pour out in front of them on our website. And and I think we really, we do a super, I, I think in higher ed, and particularly I think at Miami, we, we really mitigate that process well by doing good email communication really targeted marketing hopefully you know to like specific students you know like well we know like you know they talk about land customized landing pages so like you run an ad for international students they click on the ad and they see this you know landing page built for them but a lot of times the behavior isn't that it's i see the ad i google it later and i come to your website and it's not a personalized (laughs) experience because like you said it's a lot of first year first um, time students so it's like you, if you were just, if you let that person see that ad, come to the website and say, hey, you know what? You should create an account so we can help you, on, we can help customize content. Every time they come back, whether it's through Google or another ad or whatever that journey looks like, it doesn't matter. They get a personalized experience every time. Landing pages are great. Landing pages right. de- dedicated to campaigns are great. But again, a lot of users don't click on that link they go and google it later and then it doesn't matter if you got a yeah. customized landing page the experience once again is broken that's it I, I think there's always a there's always room in your marketing process right to try and target people the best that you can right target groups of 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 users the best that you can so that you know you're, you're hopefully bringing them back to a 
an experience that aligns with their expectations to that point, right? Well, I clicked on that ad about being an international student or a transfer student. I come back to a page that's talking about becoming a transfer student. That's great. And we do a pretty good job of, of, of aligning those things today. But you're right to say, oftentimes it's more about just like, all right, I'm interested in being a transfer student. And then I go and I just Google transfer to Miami University, Ohio, right? And what do I get? I get the first, you know, I get the, the basic transfer page and then I get like nine other results about transferring to the university that don't apply to me. Mm -hmm. And so, and if that first page, that first link isn't it, now what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, it, and it gets super cloudy, right? And I, I was just pointing at that experience the other day at, at Miami where it gets really cloudy for a student who's thinking about like a, a regional campus experience at Miami. So we have like a couple of regional campuses that are near our main campus in Oxford, but that are, you know, just kind of 30, 40 miles away. Well, what if I want to transfer and go to that specific campus? So if I type that into Google, I get a, I get a specific transfer page. But if I just Google, you know, transfer Miami University, it doesn't show those regional campuses at all, hmm. right? But if a user was logged in, right, if they had an account and they came in and said, yeah, I'm interested only for courses only at our Hamilton campus or only at our Middletown campus, right, then I'm only going to show you that stuff. Right. Right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even going to mess around with main campus unless you say, yeah, that's, well, this isn't really have the offerings I'm looking for. Maybe I do want to go get that degree that's on the main campus and consider going there. There we go. I think you found, I think we should start a business, <laughs> start a business here. Okay. Yeah. That this yeah. is like everybody I've interviewed. Sure. We're going to start a business. We found a gap in the market. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. all started here. Well, <laughs> And I would say, and I've theorized a lot about this space and like how it could, how we could get to that moment, to that space. And I absolutely think there's, there's open source tech we could put in play that would like kind of build that experience for users. But like, you know, anytime you say that, or anytime you say, let's rebuild our entire website, higher ed, people go, you know, there's this giant sigh, like across campus, like, oh man, here we go again, you know, and, and it is, and justified, right? Yes. Because I mean our websites are massive higher ed <laughs> in general they are massive mm -hmm. and but i i'm kind of thinking about it from this other angle you know which is yeah but they don't have to be right <laughs> like they can be focused and targeted for our user in a and they still have to do the, all the hard work they still have to tell you about financial aid and they still have to tell you about the admissions process and give you all the key deadlines and do all of that other stuff. But I think funny enough, like a lot of that data is in slate, right? Today. And that's great. That's a step forward for higher ed. We're putting all that data in a CRM, but then we, we don't quite use our CRM like a, like a database with a real fat API in front of it. That's what, that's what startups do, right? Like that's what they do to make it so that your website experience and your app experience are the same, right? After I log in, I get all the same stuff. Oh, I can just check that on my phone later, right? We don't quite have that experience, right? And I'm thinking, well, why don't we do that with Slate, right? Like why can't my website and my app be an application consumer of that, all that great data we're putting away in our CRM? Right. And I think it, I think it can, but we often put website technology into play that can't really do that. I mean, that, that, that may be able to do that, but would require a lot of engineering and a lot of lift and a lot of revision. And so we get that. Oh, man. 
got to rebuild our website, you know, <laughs> kind of mentality coming around and, and it does feel heavy. Well, I mean, when you have to build websites that are everything to everyone, including alum and donors and faculty and staff and yep. prospective students and current students, it's like, no wonder they're like these behemoth content dumps but this in theory would would solve that would make it less cumbersome to redo websites right you wouldn't need five navigations which is like drives me nuts on higher ed websites like there are three navs on this homepage. like i don't even i'm so overwhelmed that i'm a marketer like i don't even know what to do with any of this and so having that customization you know you just again people's expectations are impacted and formed and shaped by the experiences they're having on Amazon, on Target.com. All those external providers. Everything. Mm -hmm. And they are all doing it way faster, way better, way more personalized than higher ed is. And so when you come to a higher ed website, you're like, what is going on here? Why? Why? (laughs) I think, I'm so glad you brought, you, you said alumni, you know, because I think about them as a group too, right? Like, I think we... Like in enrollment and marketing technology, we tend to get up like this narrow focus on the next upcoming class, and that's fine. And I justify it. I get it. Like that's that's our revenue source. That's where our customers come from. We want to keep them going. We've got to find that next class. I get it. But then I also think about alumni and donors, right, as this other revenue source, you know, which is also justified. And I think a lot of time there's this there's this there's this mentality in our technology too to treat them like a whole different customer base, like. Once you're an alumni, it's like nothing that is applied to you previously at this university now applies anymore. And now we're just going to talk to you about what it means to donate to a nonprofit, right? right? Or whatever. And, and and there there tends to be these kind of divisions like that. And I I remember being at, at NNU, which is where I was before I was at Miami. When a student graduated, they would take their email address, which we had assigned to them, and then they would put the alumni dot nnu.edu's subdomain in front of that. So and then your email address became alumni.nnu.edu. And I was already having the internal struggle of like, why, why are we even giving them this email address at all? Right. And then I, and the, but then I, 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 then I again realized like, oh, here we go again, just like, like dividing, dividing this group of people out into like not really our customer anymore kind of space, you know, like what do we do with this group now? And I, and I said, it would still apply for them to be able to just continue to log into our website, like log into their account, like use whatever login they created when they first became our customer, except now we wouldn't be selling them an undergraduate degree because we would know they've graduated. We'd sell them graduate degrees. Yeah. Or we would sell, you know, we would talk to them about that next thing about supporting the university, which I think eventually includes, right, becoming a donor, perpetuating the culture loving the brand like and that might be as simple as buying a t-shirt with a logo on it cool but that could be let's get your name on a building like you love this place right it changed your life right but like that donor portal right is often again another piece of technology that's kind of tacked onto the side of all the technology we already run that requires another account another user piece of information Mostly because then that financial data can make its way back into some central ERP or and be tracked, right, for tax purposes, et cetera, et cetera. But I just, I see that world collapsing 
in other industries into a single experiences. I can send money to a friend in PayPal and buy crypto. And, you know, it's like <laughs> you can do all these crazy things. And I'm like, I'm just doing like one account to do like actually quite a bit in terms of interaction with a business. Right. It's, it's short-sighted to assume alum shouldn't have experience, yeah. good experiences, right? So not only are they, do they become donors most likely, but they also are advocates for the brand, for students, they're influencers, they have children, they've got, their children have friends, their yep. friends have families. Like there's just like this, this reach that is untapped within alumni networks that are often, they're often even like units that aren't even attached to the university. University of Michigan's Alumni Association isn't an official thing at the University of Michigan. It's like right. its own side thing. They've, they've built communities actually, really cool login you log in as alumni behind the scenes. But again, it's not necessarily a seamless right. experience from school to alumni association. And that's and that's like what I would say, like directly related to the brand, like directly associated with it. You know, I don't that it gets a little foggier here, but you often it's not like you would go to like previous customer dot com. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or something, right? To log into that thing to donate money or to log into that thing to buy something else. It, it's like, I want to, I want to, I want that affinity with the brand. I want that, that connection, that account, that thing. And then I want the emails that you send me because of the data I'm giving you to, to support that. I mean, it's weird to say I want that, but I think that there is the expectation for that today. And I think that expectation is just growing and growing. Well, imagine being able to tell very specific stories to donors in ways that they care about and they find that are impactful instead of sending them, you know, all of these emails and calling them. And it's like, can you ex take the experience and make it their own okay. based on all the information we have from their right. years at the university? We have some kind of really famous alumni at Miami, which is great. Um, Sean McVay, who's the head coach of the LA Rams, who just won the Super Bowl, right? He's an alum. And I was like, can you imagine calling that guy? <laughs> like, hey, we know you won the Super Bowl, right? We know you got, Remember you Miami? Got, you got right? some extra money, I, we know. <laughs> yeah, he's not picking up the phone, right? And I think today we're not, we're not, we're not picking up the phone, right? As a, as a culture, I, I don't at all. I can't imagine picking up a phone from my alums, my alumni, my alumnus, my Former institution of educational <laughs> right. enrollment. You know, I can't, I can't imagine doing that to, to donate. But I, I absolutely have thought about donating, and I absolutely have thought that would be cool. Sure, love that was real seamless. You know, instead of having to kind of Google around and then create another account in some random donor service vendor that I don't know anything about, to then like <laughs> feels it messy. It feels so messy and overwhelming. And it, again, is based on internal processes and how we want to operate internally instead of around the user experience, which is the problem. That all comes down to like, what does the user want? You you yeah. yourself is, are a user. You'd be so upset if Amazon did this to you. Like, so why would you, why are we okay with it in higher ed? Even though, even though people may not be able to express why they feel that way they sure have those expectations about how a service should operate and and yeah because it's just baked into us today by all those other experiences so the shopping cart experience right like 
Do you ever not find that in the top right corner? No, I don't think so. Of a website? And if you did, people would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. Like, how do I buy this right. stuff? Right. And it's all you did was move an icon, right? Like, you, oh, I'm going to put it in the top left. <laughs> you're, you, you will not sell anything anymore, right? Like, your house would be like, nah, I'm yes. out. Can't figure out how to buy this stuff, you know? And, and why? Well, Amazon figured that out. Shopify, right? Just puts that into play. Every single e-commerce site on the planet now just puts that shopping cart button top right. So any, do you have any last thoughts or anything you want to say before we, before I hit stop recording? I, I think there's still so much to the conversation around enrollment marketing technology. I, I think if you start thinking purely just, even if you just start thinking about analytics and measuring your success when it comes to communications, success when it comes to building a good website uh, you could have a whole nother conversation about just that piece um, because there is i think there's really interesting tech out there to help us navigate a world where we don't have always have really good first person data i think universities totally understand the need for more data driven decision making but often have a lot of barriers to success there but systems like slate are helping bridge that slowly over time where we can kind of look back and go, all right, we've got good customer data to rely on when we want to explore how, explore our success enrolling transfer students, exploring our success with that first year domestic class. And there are systems you can, you can use around that data to help determine that success. And so there's a lot of there's a lot in that space and could be worthy of another conversation. I think that also um, I I love all these ideas about building a, a first person login, you know, really driving that there. But I, I I'm not sure I've seen good examples of that in the higher ed space. But I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I hope that there's somebody who's just nailing this somewhere and I just haven't seen it yet. So that would be uh, a good example of a first step toward a world that fulfills more of a user's expectations today. Yeah, I think I'm gonna, I'll probably ask on Twitter if anybody knows of any, cause I'd be super interested to see yeah. if anybody is doing that and why not? And then maybe the privates, you know, or the for-profits, I would imagine would maybe be the first ones to yeah. take that leap. And maybe they are. There's a there's one that comes to mind now that I think about it that may be operating that way, but I think it is a for-profit in California. I'd have to look it up. Um, can't quite think of the name of it off the top of my head, but I had a friend do his MFA there and I happened to see kind of behind the scenes on some of his experience and I was like, ooh, <laughs> this doesn't look, this doesn't look like the high red I know. Right. Uh, this looks different and was quite compelling. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'll have to look it up. That's a wrap for this episode. Please rate and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform and remember, a better student experience is always the answer.